0: Welcome to the Frank and Fearless Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Harris. Uh, I work with uh, senior leaders, chief execs, boards, leadership teams to help them have more focused flow and fun. Today's guest is a good friend of mine. We are in a mastermind group together. Simon Chaplin, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm brilliant. Thank you, Adam, very much for asking. Simon, let's kick off. So you are very well known and respected as the Accountant's Mastermind. Just help us understand a little bit about who you are and what you do. Uh,
1: So very briefly, um, I uh, didn't have a very, uh, what should I say, not particularly academically gifted. So I struggled somewhat at school uh, around my English, so dyslexia, etc., etc. Didn't set the world on fire with my exam results. Uh, I stumbled into the world of accountancy uh, when I left school through my mum, uh, who uh, encouraged me to take that route. Uh, having uh, got a job in accountancy, I discovered that I was uh, had a bit of a knack for it. I could pass the accountancy exams, which was something that I'd never experienced before. Uh, so I ended up being one of the youngest uh, qualified accountants and chartered tax advisors in the country uh, when I qualified Um, and then I went on in 2002 to acquire a accountancy practice called Greenstones. Uh, Over the first 10 years of owning Greenstones we did all sorts of different things. So uh, we got investors in people gold at the first time, we won some accountancy awards, British accountancy awards and I got rid of timesheets and I effectively allowed my team to work wherever they like and whenever they like uh, as long as the work got done. So we went from uh, traditional accountancy practice that was measuring inputs i.e. time to being focused on outputs key performance indicators mainly uh, which I then said to the team as long as you produce x amount of work in return for your salary I don't care where you do it or when you do it as long as that gets done obviously within the law and, and the parameters. That Uh, transformation enabled me to extract myself out of the practice so I went through a a big process of delegating stuff to team and and all the rest of it my son was born and uh, after spending quite a bit of time at home with Sally and uh, my newborn son I got a bit bored which is where uh, the consultancy business which was called pull your socks up Simon was created so that was getting me back out of the house um, it traded as Pull Your Socks Up Simon for a little while and basically that was providing coaching and consultancy services to account, uh, to clients of Greenstones and then uh, in late 2014, mid to late 2014, I was approached and had struck a deal to sell Greenstones and it was at that point when I thought, blimey, I've got to replace that income, how am I going to do that? Well, Socks Up Simon needs to be a serious business. So most of the customers on Socks Up Simon were accountants, so I decided to niche, and that's where the Accountants Mastermind uh, was born from. And since then, um, it's grown exponentially. It's a massive uh, community organization, community-based within the UK, and we have five mastermind groups that meet uh, on a regular basis to help inspire, challenge, and support the accountants within those groups and their teams to be the very best they want to be.
0: So not a lot, really. <laughs> You've so not a lot, the, no. No. Um, look, there's there's so much to, uh, to unpack there, but there's a couple of things specifically I wanna I wanna talk about uh, today with you. Let's talk about that the the aspect of team and that transition from I suppose delegating and elevating and and allowing people to take their own uh, responsibility, especially in a sector which is renowned uh, for its rigidity. I'd love for you to share your insights as to kind of where did your, your thinking come from and then how did you go with the execution kind of from an internal perspective but also um, you know from peers within the industry and what they were saying. So so specifically on the team
1: aspect there, there was two books, pivotal books. Uh, one was Drive by Dan Pink and within Drive Dan talks about self-determination theory And it it just resonated with me. So I've been a firm believer that people want to do their best work. They come to work to do the best they can. And we basically beat that out of them, manage that out of them. But... At that point, and I still believe this, my, my people are volunteers. So they get a salary, obviously, for coming to work at Greenstones, but they volunteer to work for Greenstones because they are that good that they could go and work at almost any other organisation that's doing exactly the same as what we are doing. So they are, they are treated as volunteers. And as I say, I read the book Drive by Dan Pink. Dan talks about autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And we spent quite a bit of time over the years working on all three of those. And then at the end of Dan's book, he talks about a further book called Why Work Sucks and What to Do About It. And in that book, it introduces the concept of RO, which is results-only work environment. So I bought every team member. It just it really, it did resonate with me. I bought every team member a copy of that book. Um, I encouraged them strongly to read it, and most of them did. So there was about 18, 19 of the team at that time, and we set up a team away day. We went to a local golf club and uh, hired one of their meeting rooms there, and we basically had a team day discussing uh, what we thought of results-only work environment and how we might take that and implement it in the practice. We then, at the end of the day, generally speaking, lots of people thought it was a good idea, uh, we had six volunteers, so six people volunteered, 16 members volunteered to trial the process and, and see how it worked and at, at that point other than the book which is I won't say it's theoretical but there's not very many practical examples of things to implement within the book so we were sort of flying a little bit blind so we sat down when we got back to the office and we set some key, key, key performance indicators we already had key performance indicators and, and objectives and targets for the practice but we distilled those down to the team and Basically, we played with it. We ran with it for three months, sat down at the end of the three months. Does it work? Does it not work? What bit worked? What bit didn't work, et cetera, et cetera. Changed the target. And by the end of the first six months, almost everybody within the practice wanted to join uh, join in with the six that were uh, were volunteering, and that was late two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight. So we're in that sort of region, and it's still a working progress. Now we are still continually looking at the key performance indicators, the, reject- uh, the objectives, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, in order to make sure that they're fulfilling uh, the role of the practice. But. Yeah, the the big thing, and I, and again, it's a conversation I've had numerous times for some reason this week, which kind of says that I need to revisit this as a as a concept. But it, it's it's about trust. So the book talks about these people that are outside of the practice, outside of the business. They have babies, they buy houses, people die, they have all these life changing things that they manage and cope with. And then they walk over the threshold of the business, they walk into the office, and then I micromanage them. I tell them exactly what to do, how to do it, when to do it. They can go home at five o'clock, they come in at nine o'clock, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And it's it just it just didn't the concept of it didn't make sense. There's another aspect of the book where they talk about lunch hours and how most traditional office practices have a lunch hour. So they stop at one o'clock and they start again at two o'clock. And the question is, how many people have a lunch hour at the weekend? So on a Saturday and a Sunday, when you've got all these jobs that you're doing, you're cutting the lawn, washing the car, going to Tesco's or whatever it is, you don't get to one o'clock and go, oh, it's one o'clock, it's lunchtime, and then you stop for an hour. And then at two o'clock, you start and you go and clean the windows or whatever it is. And it's just this prehistoric industrial age type thinking that we are still undertaking and then we're moaning at millennials who have known nothing but facebook and instant on tap information we're moaning at them because they don't fit to this whole old historical model and it just it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever to me sorry
0: well no don't don't apologize Um, so one of the things often from a leadership perspective is is that you you stand at the front and you know and you think uh further than those people that are working with you for you following you part of the team um i know i know that this isn't just the only thing that you've implemented uh what what are you thinking and feeling at that point when you're going hey this is what i think we should do i'm sharing this concept with you what's going through your mind and your body at that moment in time
1: well, there's, there's two two concepts, so fear and courage, and, and obviously you can't have fear without the courage, and you can't have courage without the fear, so huge amount of fear and uh, the courage that that takes in order to let go of the control, but the and there's, again, there's another story that I can share, that I hadn't, I mean, I'm a bit naive in certain <laughs> circumstances, I hadn't realised how much of my identity I'd attached to being a boss, mm-hmm. so... One of the things that we used to do is Every Wednesday lunchtime, every Wednesday at half past 12, we used to have an, an all hands meeting, whatever language you want to call it. So, everybody in the practice used to go into the board meeting, into the boardroom. We all used to stand around the big table and we used to go through an agenda. So, we all used to say hello, what was the best thing of the week, the worst thing of the week. We used different, fruitier language than that, but best thing of the week, worst thing of the week, new clients that we've taken on, any problems that we've had, things that everybody needs to know, blah dee blah de blah. And at the end, what was the best thing about the meeting? And then we'd all half an hour later and they'd go for their hour lunch one of these one of the rules of results only work environment is because the team members are responsible for their what they are doing what they are producing effectively meetings have to be voluntary So if I force a team member to come to a meeting, they can then rightly turn around at the end of the month when I say to them, you've missed your targets. They can turn around and go, well, I missed my targets because you made me go and stand in that boardroom for half an hour, four times. That's two hours of my life I've lost standing in that boardroom. That's why I missed my target. So meetings have to have value to the people that are attending, and it's voluntary. Now, within the accountancy profession, there are still certain things, money laundering, regulations, and certain training requirements that we have to do to meet the law, but standing in the room, boardroom at half-past twelve on a Wednesday lunchtime wasn't one of them. So it became voluntary. Uh, The first week it was voluntary, there was me and one other team member in the boardroom at half-past twelve. So I opened the door and said, is anybody else coming? And basically the answer was no. Why not? Well, it's rubbish, Simon, to tell you the truth. All of the stuff that we've been talking about, we know. We live here. We work here. We know who the new clients are. We know what's the best bit of the world, et cetera, et cetera. All you're doing is marching us into that room and telling us what we already know. Well, that, that was a massive, massive challenge to my mm. ego and again now I'm conscious of it it's like I'm the boss I'm calling a meeting and you are going to come and listen to me and all of a sudden I'd lost that control that authority but just to put the nail in the coffin I then went on and said so can you tell me what you would what we could discuss in this meeting in order for you to come to it and somebody shouted out yeah tell us what you're going to talk about the christmas party because last year's was not very good, <laughs> but it wasn't in that language. Shit! You can so say. Not shit. only did I got a slap in the face, you no, know, it's oh, okay. so crap. It was, it was, yeah. Was right. So it was not only did I have lost lost my ego, I, I, I then had it, I had it rammed home. But there was a, a stupidity in that, Adam. In the fragment, I think there was eighteen at the time. But let's say let's say there was twenty people in the office. Half an hour a week. That's ten hours a week four times a month that's 40 hours a month of wasted time because we was just doing what we'd all what we'd always done and it yeah as I say it it there's a there's a freedom to it. There's a courage that's required. There's a big amount of fear that comes along. You have to think on your feet and meet those challenges. And it's not perfect. Right? So certain individuals get stressed at certain times of the month because they've not managed the workload and all, and all those sort of stuff. So it, it's not the holy grail. It's not perfect. But for me, it is, and I, I again, I use this phrase quite a lot, it's a grown-up way of mm-hmm. working rather than a parent-child uh type relationship
0: uh so i'm i'm just intrigued what did you do for the christmas party that following year uh, they oh, organized okay. it
1: <laughs> but i can't i can't i can't remember so the budget was dissolved the delegated whatever language yep. you want to call it uh, and uh, they they um, did it
0: yeah. you mentioned the the aspect of boss I, i'd love for you to share your thoughts on what do you believe the differences between a boss and a leader uh so a leader
1: and i, I, I I'm not gonna sure I'm going to answer your question, and I had my thinking challenged on this a few years ago by somebody uh, A leader needs followers, so in order to lead people, you need to have people that want to follow you somewhere, whereas a boss mentally for me, is an authoritarian dictatorship management type aspect um so yeah i'm not i don't i don't truly believe in either of those concepts from a simon perspective at work yeah so for me it's more about a colleague a collaborative process and ultimately i have to make a decision i am the decision maker so if I make a decision and it's wrong it's Simon that pays for it. So that's my responsibility and I'm accountable for it. But arriving at that decision is a collaborative conversation. Not always. If there's a crisis going on and there's a fire needs putting out, sometimes I need to be bossy and be uh, and be the boss. But it's it's more about working together. And I have this image and again this was something that somebody shared with me many years ago when I'm with a team member or a team I imagine myself playing doubles tennis. So we're both on the same side of the net working together to defeat the opponent, whoever that is, the competitors, the technology or whatever. Whereas most business owners, when you talk to them, they go into meetings with team members and they're playing singles Mm -hmm. tennis. And you're you, you having the conversation. so if I say this or what about if I say this and what about if I use this coaching technique, I can bat that ball back over there to them. And then the team member, they're going to answer and it's going to come back. And then if they say that, then I'm going to bat that. Back, and it becomes a competition between two people rather than two people being on the same side of the net, walking along the same journey, helping each other, because that's what it is. We, are both, we both want the business to be successful, the practice to be successful. So we're walking hand in hand in order to achieve what it is that we want to achieve, both ways. So their career development, their mastery, and my mastery as well, because I'm always learning. So it's always this again. Help me to understand where I'm going wrong, because if I understand, then I can work on that rather than me being naive and think that the 12:30 meeting on a Wednesday is a good idea.
0: So uh, if you were a tennis player, uh, you're like a, a famous tennis player. Uh, who are you most like and why? <laughs>
1: Well, the first name that came to mind was Tim Hem- Tim <laughs> Henman for some reason. You're but, just giving uh, me something massive, <laughs>
0: okay? Why would you Why would you say that you're Tim <laughs> Henman?
1: Well, I don't know. That was the first thing that came to mind. A p- perpetual trier, I think is probably is probably. So, I don't believe he ever won anything m- major. But for me, he never gave up, and he was always trying new and different things.
0: Um, but I'm not, to tell you the truth,
1: I'm not a massive fan of well, so, so There's only about six people. So two, two things I'd
0: add to that. <laughs> One, Tim Hedman was renowned for being just a very, very nice guy. So I'll put you in the same line. Okay. And, and also, there's probably a similarity here in the fact that he was a very, very good commentator. Uh, and I think he became a coach as well. So maybe there's some uh, some similarities there. Simon, through this, through this journey... Um, I'm sure that you would have had team members that have got off the bus, because you know this thought process, especially go, kind of going back over the time, uh, was quite quite different for a lot of people. How, how did you manage people in and out of the of the process? And also, as you were kind of explaining and sharing with you, sharing with your um, your style and your methodology with customers, but also with peers, I'd love to know any feedback. Positive or negative that you got through that time?
1: So, t- team member wise, there was a couple of examples that instantly sprung to mind. Uh, there was one uh, person that just couldn't cope with the freedom, and they were very good at delivering to budget. So, when we had timesheets, they knew that they'd got 15 hours. It took 15 hours last year. So, it's going to take 15 hours this year. And when we removed the timesheet aspect of it, they it was like, so how am I going to know how long it takes, Simon? It's like, well, it takes as long as it takes. It, it, it Just do it as fast as you can, basically, within the parameters that we get. And that mentally, that was a big challenge for them. They, they wanted the security. Um, and in that scenario, it's just a question of having a conversation, saying, okay, it's not working for you. Um, how can I help you get what it is that you want out of your career and I'm a, again I'm a big believer in that there's a the good thing bad thing who knows and and if somebody's not right then if I can help them get to a place a workplace that is better suited for them ultimately that saves me a load of grief because I'm not trying to get them to do things that they don't want to do etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's, it's very rare or has been very rare more often than not, it it presents a challenge when people come to interview to join the organization. So they see how we work and the things that we do, and, and they are attracted to come and, and experience the culture. Mm. But then when they sit down, it's like, so do you really not do timesheets? No, we don't do timesheets. Well, how do you measure productivity? We don't measure productivity. We measure outputs. And there's like this mental aspect to it and then when you say well you can work wherever you like whenever you like so subject to being able to do the job you can work wherever you like whenever you like it's like wh- whenever and, and wherever yeah and then you give them some examples about people having villas in las vegas that go and spend the summer out in las vegas and don't take any holiday because they're working out there or they go this week there's somebody on a farm uh lambing and they're working and Doing the lambs and and all the rest of it and not taking any holiday it like it kind of you can it it blows the mind processing mm-hmm. wise and then you share what the outputs are and and i wouldn't say very often but you, you can tell as you're talking to people that it scares the bejesus out of them because it's they they they've not got the the structure so uh, yeah, there, there has been challenges. I'm a, I'm a believer, and I I know I can be better at this. A, a spade's a spade. I very often give people too many chances in order to correct their behaviour and correct their results. I'm a bit of a, a, bit of a softie like that. I, I, I tend to give people the benefit of the doubt, but there obviously becomes points where it, the synergy doesn't work, it's not working, and, and, and they need to be managed out. From the point of view of colleagues and or the wider accountancy community when we first did this back in 2009 it was like completely radical but the wonderful thing about the accountancy community is because we are learning constantly learning we're lifelong learners the majority of people especially within my community they are they're curious rather than uh, they, they ask questions to find out more and they they very often say, okay, that's not for me. But it's not a well, that's never going to work. Blah blah blah. I'm not having anything. I'm not having anything to do with it. But I do also have to accept that the community that I tend to surround myself with tend to reflect me in that regard, and therefore uh, they are more open. But since we introduced it, as I say, it was 2008, 2009. At that time, I am there were only two businesses in the country that operated like we did, us and uh, another uh, business up in Bolton. Uh, but since then it's, it's propagated and, and there are now a number of accountants that work uh, like we do. And I, w- I won't say that's a community as such, but we do have conversations to uh, to support each other.
0: Um, did it mean that you gained any customers or lost any customers because of your working methodology?
1: We didn't gain, I'll say we didn't gain or lose customers. I'm going to correct that slightly. The, when we started working like this, we told all of our customers and there were a few customers that rang me and said, I've been trying to get hold of Mark and I can't get hold of Mark or whoever it was, Uh, since you introduced this new system, blah, 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 blah. And I had to, to to remind them that there was times when they couldn't get hold of team members before we introduced the system. And it's like, oh yeah, I suppose when you put it like that, it's not it's not changed. Um, there was a, a an, an an attractiveness to customers and, a, and an influx slightly, not anything dramatic, but. Because a team member, they could see, they could then see a customer on a Saturday morning, for argument's sake, or a Thursday night in the pub or wherever it was. They became more available because they could do that on a Thursday night and have Wednesday afternoon off, or they could go to the cinema on Friday because Star Wars had just come out. So there was there was more availability and more flexibility. Um, so it it's attractive to customers rather than. Uh, rather than putting them off but again that's one of the flip sides you see so if 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 you're working when you like where you like your colleagues and customers don't know when you're working and when you're not working so if you're not careful you can feel as though you are always available Mm -hmm. yeah so if i email somebody on a sunday afternoon because i'm working and somebody receives that email they could feel an obligation to reply to that email even though they're not working so there's a there's a the work-life balance work-life integration home life especially over covid if you're not careful can can get contaminated for want of a
0: better phrase uh you mentioned the word trust how much do you trust yourself and how does that trust in yourself then uh go through to how you've trusted your team
1: so i'm a, I'm a firm believer that people don't have to earn trust so th- my natural starting point is that everybody is a nice person okay yeah I I have been let down in that scenario over the years but everybody's a nice person and everybody gets a second everybody gets a second chance. Um, there is a uh, a phrase I think Peter Thompson uses around... Uh, confidence is a little town just south of arrogance Mm -hmm. and i i trust myself Um, i trust my ability sometimes that can come across as arrogance there's a confidence there Um, but there is also as there is with everybody this little voice in the back of my head going are you sure why don't you just play it safe this time Simon what about if you did this why don't you just have a couple of weeks off because you've been doing this etc etc and it's then when I have to go inside me and ask myself what am i truly feeling so am i doing this because it's ego it's pride it's seeking other people's approval or am i doing it because i know it's right for me so am i doing it from a place of knowing or believing rather than fear or anger or any of the other any of the other emotions and again over the years i haven't always got that right but i would like to think i get that right more often than not and certainly as I've been practicing and playing with being conscious around emotions um, I have got far far better at it than what I was even 10 even 10 years ago so trust is a given the more you trust people the faster you can go and if you don't trust people then you can't have conflict. And Patrick Lencioni's Five Dysfunctional of a Team is another godsend of a book for me. Yep. If you don't trust people, they should not be working in your organization. So I can work with people I don't like. Yeah, there are people, but there has to be a balance of personalities within any organization. So I can work with people I don't like, but I can't work with people I don't trust.
0: Uh it's interesting you mentioned Patrick Lantoni. I remember seeing him uh what now 4 years ago um speaking about the hedgehog concept and the uh, and the flywheel. Have you done anything on on the flywheel at all? No? No, okay. I
1: haven't. No, I've read over the years every single book that he's read, I've I've taken and read. The two that really stand out for me, Adam, are Five Dysfunctions of the Team and Death by Meeting, ironically yeah. enough, given the <coughs> 12.30 Wednesday dinner times.
0: Um, I think that you'll love uh, both The Hedgehog Concept uh, um, and also The Flywheel. Um, you're a perpetual learner, Um we're in a mastermind group together you with the mastermind groups that you run you're always seeing and hearing a lot of speakers a lot of thoughts a lot of uh, information um with everything that you've learned over the years who are the one or who are the one or two things that really kind of stick out for you which is like actually i, I look back and that thing that i read or heard or picked up from one individual sat around a table uh, or in the pub, what's the one or two things that really stick with you that have uh, have helped change you and your leadership style? So
1: content or speaker-wise, Adam?
0: Uh, either. I, I, I suppose it's just I'm looking for what are the one or two things that you can like pinpoint and look back now and go, okay, that speaker or that piece of information that I heard really actually sat with me for a long time and actually it's really had a big influence, influence on, on me and the businesses that I'm involved in. So there's, there's, a, there's a couple that instantly spring to mind,
1: completely different and very diverse, but I could also argue that they're, they're actually the same thing now, now I vocalise it. So one is a conversation I had with Sanjay Shah, uh, who uh, acted as a personal coach for me for many years, Uh, Sanjay shared the tier model, which is thoughts become emotions, emotions drive actions, actions create results, those results create thoughts. And what most people do in a personal development space is they try and change the thought. So positive thinking, there is no grass and all that sort of stuff. Whereas the reality of it is, is once you've had a thought, you can't change the thought because you've already had the thought. However, the emotion that you're experiencing, you can become conscious of that and then make a conscious decision to change the emotion that you're experiencing into a more useful emotion. And then once you've decided the useful emotion in that situation, you can decide what actually. To take from that. And that was a a fundamental shift. I'd done a lot up to that point. I'd done a lot of NLP, uh, qualified hypnotherapist, etc. etc. I'd done a a, a lot of stuff around the mental space. and, And Sanjay challenged me around the personal, the emotional aspect of it. And I now know, looking back, I'd spent a vast amount of my time seeking other people's approval up to that point. And it would manifest itself in various ways. Very often than not, I would work for free. So in order to seek your approval, I would say, oh, yeah, Adam, I can do that. And you would say, how much is it? And I'd say, oh, don't worry about that, Adam. I'll sort that out for you because I wanted you to like me. So... I'm far better at that now than what I was, as I I say, 10 years ago. So that's the first one that sprang to mind. And then the second one that sprang to mind is a comment that Malcolm Smith shared with me. So Malcolm talks about negotiation. Mm -hmm. And one of his sayings is the person that wins every negotiation has the best plan B. So the person that wins every negotiation has the best plan B, but nobody spends any time on plan B. They all think about, if I say this, they're going to say that, and they think about the money and what's the opening offer and da 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 Some mm-hmm. people might say, well, having two people to buy is better than one, but Malcolm's contribution to that, Helped me think about my Plan B, and Malcolm's style is also in the negotiation. As soon as you become emotionally attached to the negotiation, you've lost because you're you're diminishing your Plan B before you're, you're dealing with your Plan A. So Malcolm's work and comments and his style around that uh, really press really really press some buttons, and I find myself thinking about Plan Bs in all sorts. And it's not just. Buying and selling businesses, which I I do a bit of. It's conversations with clients about pricing. So what's my plan B if the client says no? It's appraisals with team members so if i give some feedback that the member doesn't team member doesn't agree with and they choose to leave what's my plan b what's the team members plan b etc cetera, et cetera, and it and it flows through all of those negotiations in all sorts of different uh ways uh, within the practice yeah so they're, they're the two that instantly spring to mind uh
0: you've just reminded me of the the concept of um of war gaming um uh another speaker a guy called chris Patton. uh Ex-military spoke about the aspect of of war gaming, the fact that the military spend all of their time looking and focusing and concentrating on every single eventuality because one of them may well come true. So 99.9% of their time is all situational-based planning, uh, observing, reflecting uh, over and over and over again, whereas within uh, the business world, uh, not Not enough time, if any, is ever spent on thinking taking that taking that pause uh stopping taking a reflection, and kind of going from there and, um, and My observation would be is that actually the the whole aspect going into covid kind of March twenty was really interesting in the fact that those people that were used to being in a mastermind group you know ran by one of us or somebody else they used to that situation of um being in a situation that either is not theirs or they're being challenged that ability to take that step back and reflect um they were i noticed massively those people that were in that situation were able to change pivot and move a lot faster than those were like oh we'll just wait we need more information no actually you've got to deal with the situation and the environment um in, in front of you from an accountancy perspective uh, both from the from your clients within Greenstones, but also from um, uh, the Accountants Mastermind. And I'd love for you to just share through that period of uncertainty, what were you seeing and observing, and how were you supporting?
1: So it was it was mad. Um, we were we were. I'm going to say lucky, but obviously best played plans and all the rest of it, because the team could work wherever they like, whenever they liked. Uh, Boris stood up on the Monday night, I think it was, and said, everybody's got to work from home. So on the Tuesday morning, everybody went in, they picked up their personal possessions because it was Armageddon and and there was going to be zombies and all that sort of stuff. So they they picked up their personal possessions. They'd all gone home by dinner time uh, and none of us went back into the office other than uh, Leanne had to go in in order to open the post, but none of us went in the back of the office for for months and months and months. However, um, there are not anybody within my community but there were accountants that i'm aware of that one of them stuck a note on his door and said i've gone on holiday to spain see you in the autumn and that that was his messages to his client uh, i also know of a client uh, of an accountant up north that told all of his clients that the team were working from home and what he was doing is he was making the team come into the office And they was drawing the curtains, so when people went by, they couldn't see that he'd got the team in the office, even though his clients, the bloody car park was full. So (laughs) people could see that the, the team was still coming in, even though he was saying on Facebook and all the rest of it, that they weren't. Now, I'm not judging that, because he was just doing... Davide would say he's just doing the best that he can do with the tools that he's got and at that point he was in panic and fear and all the rest of it and he was just he was just coping the best that he could but the, yeah as as I say there was a, 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 a wide spectrum of ways that people reacted but overwhelmingly uh, and again this is something that I'm truly thankful for. The community came together. There's always been a huge amount of collaboration within the accountancy community. But the community came together and we shared resources and supported each other. A couple of examples. Uh, every Saturday morning, I ran what was called a coffee and chat. So at 11 o'clock, I opened up my Zoom room. Uh, the accountants piled in. I sent them off into different breakout rooms and they chatted about their situation for 20 minutes. We brought them back, asked them what actions they was going to take, sent them off again into a different room with different people and people were sharing and there was a a huge amount of collaboration but it it was about sharing their insecurities, there was a vulnerability to it because nobody had been in that situation before and therefore they knew that there was working and sharing and and talking to like-minded individuals. And the other aspect is within the accountancy industry, just the same as there are in any industry, there are providers of content. So people that will write blogs for you, they'll do newsletters, they'll do tax guides, etc., etc. And they email the mayor and you rebadge them and you send them out to your client, either as yours or you say it's been reproduced. However, within COVID, we had, I think it was, we had effectively four budgets around furlough and all the rest of it. We had effectively four budgets in six mm-hmm. weeks and the providers just couldn't keep up with it. So what was happening within my community is somebody would write a guide, they would upload it for everybody else to use if they wanted, and then somebody else would come in and go, right, I've just taken your guide and I've added this bit, what do you think? And somebody else go, that's fantastic, let's add this bit. And within literally within hours of him standing up at five o'clock and announcing flexible furlough, we had a working document within the community that was days ahead of what, the providers were sending it, and it was all, by the time they'd sent it, it was like, something else come along there, and they just they just couldn't come up with it. And now, I'm, again, I'm vocalizing that, Adam, the trust, the speed of that, was based on the trust that they'd got within the community, that we was all like-minded individuals, that was all doing the best that yeah. we could, for the clients that we'd got, in a situation that we'd never experienced before, but we were there to do the best job that we could so, do.
0: So, I hear you, uh, this aspect around community collaboration trust support why is that fundamentally important to you and why is it important for somebody that's a leader simon's thinking
1: <laughs> that's a really um yeah it's a really difficult question for me because it's just it's just for me, it's just the most natural
0: mm-hmm.
1: thing to bit place to be. I don't I don't know why I would want to be anything different. Um, I accept that on occasions I have trusted people, and other people would say that I've been taken advantage of. Um, uh, so I think some people would potentially say that I've given too much away, and people take that and i've had people use the strap line and various things like that but there's this and again it's it's not mine i can't i can't credit the person because i can't remember what we tend to do in business we tend to do in life is we make make rules or make rules to control the five percent of people that that don't work with us or don't we don't trust rather than Honouring the 95% of people that are working in the ways that we want. So they, they're working for the are working for the greater good. So I suppose when I'm thinking about it like that out loud, the the damage that that odd one does is more than worth it for the benefit that I get out of working with the other 99.9% reoccurring. And I just, I think from a, a leader perspective or a boss perspective or a colleague or whatever language you want to call it, there's a, there's a greater energy in that environment. There's a, a, a belief, a confidence, a momentum that you get that you can carry. And, you, and you, you don't take everybody with you, but you you can take people with you that you don't get. If you sat there on a Sunday night thinking about how you're going to get one over steve because steve didn't make you a cup of coffee last week or whatever it was that you've got that you've got your knickers in a twist about so um yeah it um, or somebody was three minutes late because the toothbrush didn't work or what or whatever it's just not worth the grief um yeah i don't know whether that answers no your no question, no uh, but,
0: well um, I think the reason why I I would observe the reason why you struggle to answer is for me it's just part of your DNA it's just part of who you are um you you are a collaborator consistently but what what I love about you is is that you have this you're just always in listen and learn mode so you're just you're always open and receptive to to receive anything and actually sometimes it's those those nuances that actually are the are kind of the, the sidetrack uh, and you hear something from somebody and there's, there's a, for me, there's a humbleness about you where you don't pretend to be anything that you're not. Uh, okay. and you just, you just, a, you're a little bit like Tim Hemman, You're just a really nice guy. <laughs> um, I, I would <laughs> look just for you just reminding
1: me of one more thing, Adam. Sorry. Go on. <laughs> so, so this week and i cuz it this this is there's another one that smacked me in the face so there's a brilliant book called brave new work by alan dignan and he talks about business owners wanting to build stuff Yeah, and as humans, when we find a problem, especially as business owners, we try and fix that problem. And normally, 99% of the time, that involves adding something into the system. Yeah, so something's gone wrong. What we need to do is improve the system. We'll add a stage or we'll change the letter or something in order to make that system work. Yeah, whereas Adam in his uh, sorry, Aaron in his book says it's equally as powerful to take stuff away. And it's like, wow! When was the last time I took something out of a system? <laughs> out of a system, and it's that provocation, for want of a better phrase, provokes me into thinking about okay. So how I've been thinking like this for the last thirty some odd years, twenty years running the business. I've been adding stuff, adding stuff, adding stuff. How can I now use that content in order to make my life easier by taking stuff away? And ultimately, if you think about that concept, that involves more trust because you're taking away part of the process in order to enable your team to do their best work
0: awesome two last questions uh what does frank and fearless mean to you
1: Uh, frank and fearless for me when i first heard the phrase i thought it was quite an aggressive statement um having thought about it and sat on it What frank and fearless means to me is getting out of my own way for the benefit of the person that I am working with or talking to. So, if I am working with that person from my business, from my position, with my own preconceptions, misconceptions of what it is that they need, then I will be manipulating them or influencing them in order to get the answer that I think I should get in order for me to be the hero. So, frank and fearless is me being frank and fearless and getting out of my own way in order to ask the best questions that i can in order to elicit the best answer from whoever it is in order for them to get the best outcome and result for them in their current situation or place love it
0: love it thank you um final thing uh it's not really a question I'd love for you to share the story because you and I are, are family friends and uh, our families have got together a few times. I'd love for you to share the story about um, when my eldest uh, challenged you. Do you remember that? Uh,
1: yes, I do. Yeah. So uh, as you probably could tell when you've listened to this, I have a, a reasonably broad accent. So uh, I, I come from a, a little village called Leverington on the Cambridgeshire, Norfolkshire, uh, Norfolk, Cambridgeshire, Lincolnshire uh, they, and when I get excited and passionate, uh, that uh, accent uh, becomes accentuated and I lose my Queen's, uh, queens English. Anyway, cut long story short, uh, one day I was out with Adam uh, and his family and uh, we'd been talking about where we was going on the map and, and, and various other things. And, and Adam's daughter we sat having a picnic, uh, looking at the map, and Adam's daughter turned to Adam and said to Adam, Daddy, why does Simon say ear when he means here. <laughs> for me, here, which is why I say that we're going over here yeah, rather than here. Uh, for me, that was a, a really interesting lesson around communication. I'd use it in my presentations now. Uh, a really interesting lesson in how I am saying something, how I am communicating. And communication is, the, the, is only as good as the response it elicits. And quite clearly, I wasn't communicating clearly <laughs> enough uh, for Adam's daughter to understand where it was that we were oh. going
0: out of the mouths of babes I tell you what it's so funny like we can learn so much from uh, from kids uh just the aspect of their kind of naivety and just kind of innocence in the just uh you know I've definitely learned so much from my kids over the years um Emily's now thirteen um trying to have even have a conversation with her at times it's difficult, let alone being challenged on what I should or shouldn't say <laughs> uh, Simon th- this has been absolutely fueled with lots of tips uh so many book recommendations um, Thank you ever so much uh for your time. This has been the Frank and Phyllis leadership podcast. as always, I say if you have found value in this, please just forward and recommend to one person uh, because the impact that that then can have on them uh is going to be pretty massive and there's so much content that's come from uh today uh if you want to reach out to simon uh where can they find you simon
1: linkedin uh so simon d chaplin on linkedin gladly connect with anybody if anybody has got any questions around results only working environment and how we've implemented it i will gladly give my time away i will self-sacrifice uh for you in order to help you on that process because i am i'm passionate about it um, i've also written a book called banish the bottleneck which you can find on amazon which again goes into more detail about how we implemented it and the systems that we went through etc etc but the, the best place is simon d chaplin on linkedin
0: i can't believe we waited right to the last minute to mention the fact that you'd written a book uh, and it is an absolutely great book uh, whilst whilst it's written uh, specifically for accountants there's so much uh, that it could be taken. Um, I, and I've reread it three times, and I don't normally read masses amounts. So uh, it's, uh, it's fantastic. Uh, this has been the Frank and Fearless Leadership Podcast. Till next time, I will see you soon. Bye for now.